on, let's welcome Chapel in Richmond. Love you guys. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Well, good morning, and we are in a series called Overcoming. I'll tell you about that a little more in a second, but want to look at the camera and say good morning to the chapel at Scott's Edition. Glad to have you guys with us. Uh, second week of having two services, so good morning, 1115. And then it's such an honor to be able to be uh, in the uh, in live streaming into Chesterfield County Jail and the men and women in Harp. We love you guys. We're so honored to have you with us. Also, everybody online. Also, would you help me do something uh, special today and say uh, good morning to the chapel in the lobby? Come on, chapel in the lobby. Love you guys. And uh, uh, so thank you for your flexibility. And we, we have a great 815 service and a 430 service. So we're trying to make some space in these peak worship times. Uh, you can always check those out. They're fully identical. But um, I also want to let you know we're trying to address some of this space issue. And here's how you can find out about that. Okay, you ready? Uh, before we get in, I want to let you know we've been having these vision nights and we've been rolling out what God's going to do in the life of our church over the next two years. And the last three nights, we've had great nights just in smaller groups of the chapel to share the vision with clarity of where God's taking us over the next two years. So we have two more of those. So tonight, I can't wait to be in Scott's edition with everybody just sharing the vision God's put on our heart. And then one more in Midlothian tomorrow night, Monday night at 7 p.m. So we hope you'll be able to make uh, one of these vision nights as we just dream about what God wants to do in the future of our church. How many know God's got a big calling on our church to impact this city? And, and so we can't wait to talk about vision. Well, uh, we're in a series called Overcoming, and it is a book uh, of the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. It's in the first half of the Bible. It's a little 13-chapter book where God helps people rebuild some broken things. And I'm so, I'm so thankful God doesn't throw out broken things. Aren't you thankful for that, that he re repurposes them and reuses them? Who of us would even be here today if God would only use perfect people? And, uh, but you know what he does? He takes the broken places and the broken things and the rubble, and he rebuilds them and does brand new things. And that's what we've been looking at, how to overcome. And, and we've been studying this book of the Bible as, as the people move forward to rebuild their city, the walls, which, which were kind of a symbol of stability. They were a symbol of uh, uh, ability to protect yourself, not be vulnerable to to uh, attacks from the outside, all of that. And, and, and in the middle of that, they, they faced some obstacles and some challenges and some things they had to overcome. And we're, we're facing that as well. In fact, I was hanging out with somebody from the church on, uh, on January 15th, and they said to me, I'm, I'm sick of 2022 already. And I thought, man, two weeks in, I kind of, I kind of know how you feel, you know. Like, uh, uh, I mean, two, I mean, how, how many feel like it's been a slow start to the year, right? Like, and, and you're trying to figure this out. And part of life is overcoming discouragement. So I'm going to talk to you today about how do we overcome discouragement. And this phrase has been going through my mind that one of the sharpest knives in Satan's drawer is discouragement. That's one of the things I think he uses in our life to to to, to impede us and hold us back. And part of life is learning how to battle discouragement and get through it. And so I want to say at the start that being discouraged isn't, isn't a bad thing. It isn't wrong. We're not here to condemn anybody. But living in a permanent state of discouragement is less than God's best for us. 
And so we want to acknowledge there are discouraging moments of our life, but we want to get through those and, and, and live with faith and trust and believe. We're going to learn that today. So if you're discouraged today, I hope we'll, we'll study from Nehemiah 4 how to get out of that place and move forward. If you're, if you're not discouraged today, it'll be prep for when you, when you are discouraged that you'll be able to make it uh, through life. And I was thinking discouragement is sort of the gap between our expectations and what really happens in life, right? How many know you think you know how it's going to go, and then life hits you, and it goes a little different, right? Uh, I mean, you, you can't wait to have that baby, and then you realize it's an angel by day and a demon by night, you know what I mean? And, or you can't, you can't wait for some season of life, and you think it's going to be a certain way, and then it kind of doesn't go that way. And so uh, sometimes what discouragement is is we sit down and live in the gap between, between uh, uh, what we thought was going to be and what is. And we lose a loss of faith, loss of confidence, loss of hope, loss of enthusiasm. And courage is, is dislocated or, or, or driven out of our life. And we're going to learn how to get how to get encouraged and how to process this. So we're in Nehemiah, the whole chapter four today. And, uh, and, and we're going to look at how he overcame discouragement. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed, and he ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. So this is what happens. He starts to get attacked, and here's what he said. What are those feeble Jews doing? Look at the insults. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life? Look at these words. From heaps of rubble, burned as they are. Look at the insults. Feeble Jews. And and, and can they restore? And they'll never finish. And there's too much, too much debris and rubble there. They won't, they won't, they won't be able to rebuild it. And here, here they are. And not only was there attack from the outside, there began to be attack from the inside. I think that's part of the enemy's uh, attempts to not only bring challenges from outside ourselves, but maybe even more dangerous when it gets in our inner circle and in our own mind. And in fact, even amongst themselves, they. They, they had to handle this. What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Listen to how insulting. What they're building, a, a little fox couldn't walk up on without it falling. And then inside, even the people were discouraged, saying the strength, we're tired. The strength of the laborers is given out. There's, there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They're overwhelmed. They're discouraged. They have to make it through it. And we have to learn how to handle and navigate discouragement in our life. I, was, I heard an interview with Lynn Swan, the great wide receiver, and he was asked about how he could make all these acrobatic catches. And, and he said, well, one of the reasons I, I could make all these crazy catches is because in junior high, I not only played football, but my mom, my mom signed me up to, for ballet, okay? And so I want you to imagine, he, here's, here he is in junior high and high school, and he's leaving football practice, headed to be a ballerina, or a ballerino, I don't know what you call it. Like, like, and, and he tells the story. He says, you, you have to learn to overcome. When you, have, when you have tights and shoes over your shoulder leaving football practice, you have to overcome some critics. You know what I mean? And he actually says that's what prepared his mental toughness. He, he said, I learned how to make ac- acrobatic uh, catches in ballet, but I learned how to be mentally tough on what the guys did in the locker room knowing I was headed to be a ballerina or to the ballet. I don't know the lingo, you know. 
And I think, man, that is so true. Our ability to handle critics, our ability to be resilient, our ability to handle things. How many know life, life is, is challenging, right? And our ability to navigate that and make progress in that is so important. In fact, just write this down this weekend as we get going. I, I want you to not be discouraged today. In all our building, there will be battling, okay? And I want to just say that, that, that life is not a playground, it's a battleground. Do you know that? And that actually means that, that it doesn't, it's not just slides and swings, it's, it's swords and spears. And that's the challenge of life to make that adjustment and realize, man, part of life is going to be challenging. It's going to be battling. It's going to be dealing with things head on and pushing through them. And don't be discouraged in all our building, there will be battling. And that's the whole book of Nehemiah. Chapter two, they, they have some challenges. And then chapter three, we saw it last week, they all come together and build and then chapter four, they have some challenges and then they build again. And then chapter six, they have, cha- and it's progress and opposition and progress and opposition and progress and opposition. The whole book is progress and opposition. And isn't that where we live today? <laughs> and and if, you, if we don't understand that, then we enter into life with sort of rose colored glasses, assuming life's going to be a certain way and not realizing that life is lived uphill, Right. It's just, it's just, it's, it's part of it and learning to accept that and find grace for that and move forward in that is important. And that's what Nehemiah has to lead the people through. They're facing a season of discouragement. I bet if we passed around a microphone this morning, there's a whole bunch of discouraged people. In fact, at the end of the early services, I would say, if you're discouraged, raise your hand. And I probably should have said, if you're not, raise your hand. You know what I mean? Like, cause this is just part of life and I'm going to give you just a couple things that cause their discouragement and can cause ours, and then I'll give a solution. So my goal at the start of the message is to tell you what causes discouragement and maybe even discourage you, so then we're all discouraged, and then we'll fix it, okay? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, I'm glad you're here today. Come on, tell that. Turn to the person on your other side and say, you look like you need some church today. Come on, just say that today. You look like you need some church today. The first cause of discouragement was they focused on their insecurity rather than God's ability. We just read the verses, what are you feeble Jews doing? Even if a fox climbed up on it, you're not able. This strength of ours is going over and over again. They focus on their own weakness rather than God's ability. And if they only focus on building the wall with their own talent, they realize they can't do this. Nehemiah is a cupbearer. He's not a builder. These people have left the wall, we learned, ruined for over 100 years. There's no human reason why they should be able to do this. And they have to choose whether or not they're going to focus on their own human limitations or on God's ability, right? How many would admit? that if you look at yourself long enough it gets depressing I mean my mom used to have a two a mirror in in her her bathroom growing up whereas normal was one side and you spun it over and it had a really zoomed in one and man you'd spin that over and you'd kind of think is this real is this what people see you know are the pores on my nose really this way does everyone know it you know and and who would admit the longer we look at ourselves, the more we see our inadequacy our failure, our, 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 our difficulty, our shortcomings. And if we fixate on our insecurity rather than God's ability, if the people focused on what they were doing, then they'd listen to the people around them that said, you'll never be able to, to build those walls. And they could have said, we get it. We know. You're not able. We know. <laughs> like, because it's not about our ability. It's about God's ability. That's what I love about even the songs we sang today. It reminds us of the ability we have in God to do more than we could do on our own, Right? 
I don't know how many of you saw those old movies, The Bourne Identity. Anybody see those? Jason Bourne, the whole book is built off of uh, 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 novels that were, they're fictional novels that were written about Jason Bourne, and he's, he's, a, he's a trained special ops fighter, but he, I can't remember, I think he gets drowned or something, and he, and he has amnesia and doesn't know who he is. And, he, and there's a scene in the movie where he's sitting in a diner, and he realizes that he, on the way in, walking into the diner, he memorized all the license plates of the cars in the parking lot. And he closes his eyes in the diner, and he can, he can actually, he, he's memorized where everyone's sitting in the diner. And all he, although he doesn't know who he is, he's starting to realize, oh my word, I have like some ability, some training, some special ops prep that makes me. So I felt like God wanted me to come here today and just remind you not, not who you're not, but who you are. If you're a child of God, you're chosen by God. He's given you the Jesus Christ on the inside, the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the challenge today, not to fixate on our insecurity, but on God's ability, who we are in Jesus. Can I get an amen today? Right? Like that's who God's called us to be and what he's made us to be. And when we focus on our inability, it makes, us, it makes us short. But when we focus on what God can do, we're filled with strength. And so that's their first challenge. The next thing they do is they focus on their own human weariness rather than God's strength. In fact, look at what the verse says. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Literally, what they're, what they're saying is we're running out of strength. Man, hasn't this been a theme for the last couple of years in our culture, right? Like, like just, just how long can we do this thing? What's the strength going on on the inside of us? And I think it's because we run ourselves thin, right? We run ourselves ragged. In fact, I read this week of a disease that doctors are creating. Uh, they're calling it called the hustle disease the, or the hurry disease, okay? And it's based upon people that always have to be active and achieve things. You know who you are. And you can't ever rest because you, if you're not productive, you can't go into the chill mode, okay? So it's, we're going to do a confession time. You know who you are. You know who you are in this room. Where are the production people that you gotta, you got to accomplish something? And when you say sit down and chill out, you don't really want to do that because you first got to, come on, just raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. You're going to have an altar call after. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You feel like you accomplished something by raising your hand there. That felt good, right? You know? In fact, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, God gave his people 10 commands, and one of them was to keep the Sabbath holy, which means to take one out of seven days and not work. And this was actually seen as a witness to the nations around them, because the nations around them would have said, man, if we're working seven days a week, we're going to be more profitable. We're going we're to excel more than the nation of Israel that's only working six days a week. But you know what actually happened? God blessed the efforts of six days more than seven days. Why? Because God knew that we, we, we function better in rest right? That there's actually a law of diminishing return that you can push it so fast, so long at such a speed that you're actually not as effective anymore at what you're doing. And so God said, take one day of seven and rest. In fact, he gave us the, the, the example of that when he created uh, uh, the earth. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Question, did God, was God tired? No. 
He's not tight. He, he's setting us a pattern because he knows there's a speed limit to our soul. And when we run at a certain pace too long, eventually what happens is we get, we get tired and, and, and fatigued. And so there's one day in seven that we're, that we're supposed to rest. Come on. I have anybody that believe in a Sunday nap in the house. Come on. Anybody, I come on a lunch and a nap. I put golf on. You want to know why? Because you can't stay awake during golf. You can't. <laughs> just, I'm going to put golf on. Who's golfing? I don't care. I'm just going to wake up, and it's, it's a great sport. I can't watch UFC and fall asleep, right? And, you know, and so, there's a, so here's the danger, right? Focus on our insecurity rather than God's ability. Focus on our weariness rather than God's strength. And then here's the third thing. They said there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They focused on their mess. They literally focused on their mess. That instead of saying God can rebuild, they only saw the mess they'd made of it. Don't we make a mess sometimes of our life? In fact, literally, that's what the people say. It says in verse 10, they're standing in the rubble. And they're trying to build a wall, but their feet are in the rubble. And they know, how am I ever going to rebuild this thing when my feet are stuck in the brokenness of what the mess I've made? And I think that's a lie of the enemy to to force us not to see the future because we think that the past and the present limits us and God doesn't have a future. Aren't you thankful God has a future, right? For people that have not not done the best and and come up short. no, 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 I don't have to stand in that mess. And so what they actually do is they excavate. They tear those things out. They remove them and put them out of there so that they can walk and stand and build for the future. And God God thinks the same can do for our lives. I remember I was uh, watching the kids. We were living in uh, Binghamton, New York. And there's this big old tree in our backyard. It was one of the oldest trees in the town. And it... Uh, let off tons of leaves in the in the fall and my son carter was probably two years old maybe we were out on the back deck and he i thought he had picked up a, a pile of leaves but it ended up i think it was i realized oh my gosh that's a dead mouse in his hand and i thought i thought to myself katie's never gonna like trust me again with this kid and so so i said i didn't know what to do i was real nervous that if i said put pull that back that he was gonna pull it towards himself and i thought if he puts it in his mouth I'll just have to put him up for adoption. And uh, so I didn't know what to do in that moment. And so I just said, I didn't know what to do. And God gave me Holy Spirit wisdom in that moment. And I said, you want candy? And he dropped the mouse and walked in. And that was a day I won as a dad, right? You want to know why? Because what I could offer him was more attractive than what he was holding. And I just want to say to you today, sometimes we nurse our pain, nurse our wounds, and nurse our past, and we hold on to it. And I want to encourage some of us today to let go of what the past is, the rubble, because what God has for us is so much more attractive and powerful and the future he has for us than what we can go. But we have to let go of our mess, okay? And I want you to see what happened. Basically, as they're, as they're dealing with discouragement, everybody comes in around them, and they told them over and over again, wherever you turn, they'll attack you. In fact, 10 times over, the text says, Hebrew scholars tell us it's not 10 times. This is a Hebrew idiom, meaning over and over and over again. It's like when somebody says, you told me for the millionth time, right? It's just their way of saying over and over. Over and over again, everybody came to them and said, one time after another after another, you're never going to get past this. And so I want to give you this second point of encouragement today. I hope it's this point could either be an encouragement or discouragement. You tell me, okay? Don't be discouraged. It's normal that you're discouraged. Come on, turn the verse next to you and tell them it's normal that you're discouraged. Come on, it's just, it's just normal that you're discouraged. <laughs> now, what that, what that doesn't mean 
is that it's normal to stay permanently in a state of discouragement. Not to live there and set up camp there, but, but bouts of discouragement are part of life, okay? Hey, I want to live in a, in, in a church that's real. And so can we just admit that life is full of peaks and life is full of valleys, right? You ever met the person that's always blessed? They're always blessed. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Really? Because I, look, I thought you were fighting in the parking lot <laughs> with your wife and she doesn't look very blessed. And, no, I'm, I'm blessed. Really? Because your kids look pretty. I don't, you don't feel so blessed to me right now, you know? Can we just, I want to be a part of a real church, don't you? Right? Where we just admit how things are really going. Doesn't mean we have to live there and camp out there and, and, and say, well, this is the future. I don't want to be a part of a sad church. Oh, grab it. I don't want to be a part of that church. But I don't want to be a part of a fake church. In fact, I think the world around us is looking for authenticity more than being right. I think people want to follow people that are real that are even more than people that are right. In fact, I just, I'm going to say it on a Sunday morning. Uh, three weeks ago or two weeks ago on a Saturday prayer, I felt like I was supposed to just confess anxiety I'd been feeling as a pastor and a, and a dad. And I don't know what to say, but the first two weeks of 2022, I just didn't feel like myself. And so after Saturday morning prayer, I stood up. We, we went offline because I wasn't ready to share it with online, you know. And I just said, hey, I, I know this is weird. I don't quite know what to say, but I started feeling like not quite myself. I felt a little sick right, right around New Year. And then the first two weeks of the year, I couldn't shake. I just, I wasn't normally like me. I felt certain levels of anxiety. I just didn't feel my, like myself. And, and, and I started, I would wake up every day just thinking, I'm gonna feel like myself again. And I didn't feel like myself again. And so I said to the church, will you do me a favor? Would you just pray for me? I pray for you every day. Would you pray for me? And we had this really sweet moment that a bunch of people just put their hands on my shoulders and, and prayed for me. And um, you know what happened for the next week? More people texted me, called me, or emailed me and said that meant so much to me. And I was trying to figure out what meant so much to you. you know. And what I realized is that we, we impress people with our victories, but we connect with people with our humanness. Isn't that true? That when we say, I'm, I'm that way too, you too, me too, I'm dealing, Let, let's, hey, I want to be a church where we can be real and authentic and say, here's how I'm doing. I want to be a church where you can walk in and you say to the greeter, how you doing today? And they say, crappy, but I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> well, or maybe they shouldn't greet that day, but you know what I'm saying. Hi, hey, 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 how many want to be a church that's full of real people, not blessed people? How many want to be a, a church that's real people, right? Real people real people Nehemiah comes along and he stands up and he says to them I want to remind you not to be afraid remember the Lord we could camp out there all day remember the Lord remember the Lord remember the Lord but then he said who's great and awesome and fight for your families don't you love that verse fight for your families right Uh, your sons and your daughters your wives and your homes I thought we should print out shirts that say fight for your families right wouldn't that be cool not fight with your family some of you are like I need that but uh No, fight for your families. You remember we learned a couple weeks ago that what Nehemiah did was he actually assigned the pieces of the wall to be constructed by people who live near that part of the wall. What a genius move. Because who's going to build the part of the wall better than the one who says, well, my back gate moves up to that wall. I'm going to build this part right. And it's a reminder of all the people fighting for their family, committed to their family. And let me just say this, as a church, we love kids ministry and student ministry, but I think, I think first and foremost, the duty 
to raise kids in the, to love Jesus with all their hearts is not the responsibility of the church first. It's the responsibility of the home. And the church is here to be an extension, but, but we can't just say, like, I sent them into kids' church. I don't like them, but I hope you bring them back the way I like them, you know? No, no, no. We're here to be an extension and reinforce the things you're teaching, but the church can't be a substitute for, for, for people who know and love and are invested. The mo- I think we need, hey, I think we need a generation that fights for families, right? That's committed to families. In fact, we talked about it last Wednesday night. The enemy always attacks the foundational thing that existed even before the church was the family. The, the, the culture, the state, the city, the nation can rise no higher than the family, right? And Nehemiah mobilizes the people. Fight for your families. Come on, get, get mobilized. What he's really telling them is don't be discouraged. Your home needs too much to stay this way. Like, did you know that, 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 that our, our faithfulness in loving God and getting out of discouragement has ripple effects to the people around us, to the relationships close to us? And look at Nehemiah, fight for your families. Stand up, speak up, live up. Be, be who God's called you to be for your sons, your daughters, your moms, your dads. In fact, I don't, I don't know where she is, but a wonderful lady this morning said to me, there are four generations of us in church today. Where is she? You're here somewhere, aren't you? Right here. And where's your accent from? It's the best accent I've ever heard. England, yeah. We're gonna have you read scripture next week. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Well, I need an English accent, thus saith the Lord. I need that, you know. <laughs> how many know four generations? How many know that's what the church is? It's multiple generations from multiple places coming together for the glory of God. And, and what Nehemiah says is, uh, I'm sorry to, I, I know you're new. Sorry to embarrass you because I, I don't know if the English like that, but that's okay. Uh, welcome to America. And uh, we don't have any manners here. That's just the truth. Ain't it just the truth? And... Uh, Okay, let's move on. Uh, so Nehemiah says, so we rebuilt, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart till it reached half its height, okay? Let me just say this. The most dangerous place I think is halfway, right? It's not, at the start, you have unbridled enthusiasm. At the end, you can see the completion. In the middle, there's the challenge. And I wanna say this. Godly people that God uses in big ways learn how to be faithful in the middle, it's easy to start and easy to finish. But the middle, uh, one person said, godly people do repeatedly what others do occasionally, right? I'm just going to be faithful today. I'm just going to be faithful today. I'm just going to be faithful. And you know what? That's what the halfway point is. There's two ways to see the halfway point. One is, oh my gosh, we're only halfway there. The other is to say, can you believe it? We're not at the start line anymore. We're already halfway. Let's go. You know what I mean? Here we go. Here we go. Like, like here, I want to encourage you today. Don't be discouraged. You're halfway there, right? Somebody says, well, you're not perfect. You're like, you should have met me the day I met Jesus. I'm a whole lot better than I used to be, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not where I used to be. I'm probably not where I should be, but I'm not where I'm going to be, but I'm not where I used to be, you know? I'm just thankful that God's brought me where I am and gave me progress and hope and joy and potential. Don't be discouraged. You're halfway there. And the challenge and temptation is to bail out in that moment, right? To not make progress. But Nehemiah stops and he tells the people, we're halfway there, right? But halfway is the point where you either get the motivation to finish or you leave it undone, right? We could probably pass. Or we got, I got a back fence. I'm supposed to paint the whole thing. 
And we're two-thirds of the way there. And guess what? I've been two-thirds of the way there a long time. And this spring, if it stops raining all spring, I'll paint it. You know what I mean? Uh, but like, so all of us know what it's like to start something and not complete it. And Nehemiah rallies the people. And he says, we're halfway there. Let's go. And look at how he speaks life and encouragement into them. He says to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work's extensive and it's spread out. And we're widely separated from each other along the wall. So we're, we're distant from each other. So whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, let's gather there. God will fight for us. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, let's join there. God will fight for us. I want you to know as we launch small groups, that's what this is. Here's what small groups are to me, okay? We're spread out and we're doing the work. And launching a new semester of small groups is us sounding the trumpet and saying, hey, hey, hey. We need one another. We need to come together and be encouraged, right? Do you know this semester will launch over 200 small groups, right? Places where people can get connected and find community. It's just designed to bring us together. But I love these words. I love these words. Our God will fight for us. Come on. Say that with me. Our God will what? Come on. Come on. Our God will what? Our God will fight for us. I want you to know you're at a church that doesn't think you need to fight for God. It thinks you need to let God fight for you. We are driven by grace. We are saturated by the spirit. We are not accomplishing this thing in our own strength. We're accomplishing it in the strength of the Lord, the cross, power of the Holy Spirit. Our God will fight for us. The whole story of the Bible is God fighting for us, isn't it? He tells Moses, Exodus 14, 14, you need only be still, the Lord will fight for you. He tells Gideon, you have too many men to win a battle. Who says that? We have too many aircraft, the aircraft, we just got too much. I can't work with this much, you know. Why? Because when he limits the army, there's no doubt who works. It's It's not the strength of the flesh. It's the strength of our God, right? And Nehemiah says, we're halfway there, but we're not going to white knuckle religion, this thing. We're going to learn to trust God in his grace to get us there, right? Our God will fight for you. Last spring, we were uh, uh, in Myrtle Beach on vacation, and right outside the little house, there was this basketball court. My son was playing basketball. There's five kids down there. My son Carter's a little bit short, and uh, it was, they needed one more. So he yells out to the deck, Dad, we need one more. And I said, I'm, I'm kind of past the basketball season of life, Carter. No. He says, we really need one more. And so I said, okay. So I love my son. It's vacation. Uh, I'm going to do something for him. Hopefully I won't go to the hospital. And so I come down. And as I'm walking towards it, I can see the other three kids. My son's short. And these are probably 15 years old. Kids are taller than him. And they, they see Carter short. And I'm kind of a full-figured 40-year-old man. And, you can see them kind of with an attitude, and it kind of ticked me off. And uh, so I said, okay, this is how we're going to do this with those guys. So I got my team together, and I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to punish these guys. So get me the ball. This thing's over. And I, 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 I don't even regret to inform you, 11 to 4, come on, we, we took them to school, okay? And, uh, and I was just happy I didn't go to the hospital after, and... Uh, but literally, my son started dribbling, talking trash, and he's just little, and these guys are bigger than him, but he knew one thing, he could get it to dad, and I was just going to run over this kid. Katie, you're like, you're going to hurt him. I was like, they're fine. You know, I just show him in Jesus' name what's happening here. And uh, 
And so I just, I just want you to know that there's strength when you know somebody on your team has ability. And the story of the Christian faith isn't that we are in and of ourselves have enough. It's the captain of the host, the Lord of the armies, the, the, the one who rose and, and conquered death, hell, and the grave. So, so here today, don't be discouraged. God's fighting for you. Nehemiah says we're going to make it in the strength of the Lord. Nehemiah 420, because God's fighting for us, right? God's fighting for us. And because of that, we're going to make it. And because of that, you can come out of discouragement. And because of that, there's hope for tomorrow. And because of that, there's, there's grace for our families. Because of that, there's hope for our city. Because God's fighting for us. There, there's a, a guy named uh, Irag, and I can't remember his last name. It's, it starts with a K. But he was 12 years old. And he had a fascination with flying. And um, his parents let him know that they had done all the studies and humans couldn't fly but he got this obsession about flying. And he's actually the one that invented the helicopter. And uh, as he was building helicopters in his plant, he has this sign. He had this sign up in the, in the entryway as you came into where the helicopters were built. According to recognized aerotechnical tests, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of his body in relation to the total wing area. But the bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyways. And I just, I'm telling you, I think we live in a can't-do world, okay? We live in a world where, where, and and I'm also saying this, I've talked to some Christians lately that have a can't-do attitude. And they're like ready for the book of Revelation. It's going to be bad. Whole world, how's it going? Yep, going to hell. It's terrible last generation. Kids, grandkids, oh, they're goners, you know. Schools, work, life, you know, Mm mm-hmm. Global warming, sea levels, the turtles, they choke on the straws. and whole world gone. But I'm telling you, there's something about a tone of faith and confidence. That Nehemiah says, we're halfway there, and I get Sam Ballots screaming, you're not building it right. And Tobias says, you can't have it. And these people say they're about to attack. And the walls have been this way over 100 years Maybe I should quit. The people aren't even thankful. I mean, we're halfway there in just a few weeks. Shouldn't we be thankful? Maybe, 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 we, maybe we can't do this. But instead he stands and he gathers the nobles and the officials. And he says, fight for your family. In fact, I don't have it on the screen, but if you read verse 16 to 18, he actually gives them, they work with two hands. One hand, they're building bricks, the Bible says. And one hand, they have a sword ready for battle. I'm going to build I'm a battle. That's a sword. Okay. I'm a build. I'm a battle. And the same is true in our life. Sometimes we got to build. Sometimes we got to battle. Sometimes I, I wish it was just all building. I wish I could have an altar call and be like, if you just follow Jesus, there's no more battles. Amen. Get a chapel shirt. But sometimes you build. Sometimes you battle. Sometimes you build. Sometimes you battle, sometimes you build, sometimes you battle. But the truth is we do it all in the strength of the Lord because God fights for us, right? You know what we're going to see in in two chapters? That in 52 days, the walls are built. In 52, what they thought couldn't be done for decades. 52 days. Did you know that's less than two months? That's why I preach here. Those kind of nuggets that really, 
resonate with people, you know. 52 days. 50, 52 days, what couldn't be done is done for the glory of God because God fights for them and God fights for us. He's come to give us strength. And You know, I met people after the earlier services that said, man, I'm, I'm struggling with discouragement. I just want you to know, um, I'm praying that God brings brand new joy. And I'm not here to condemn you. Elijah, Moses, Paul, all the greats of the Bible had battles with that. But here's the truth. You don't have to take a temporary feeling and make it your permanent dwelling place. The Lord can come and give joy and encouragement where there's discouragement. Would you bow with me all over this room? If you're here today, I won't embarrass you, I promise. But you say, Pastor, I'm a little bit discouraged today. I'm, I'm signing up for some new joy. I'm signing up for some new encouragement. Would you just raise your hand all over this room? You say, I'm discouraged. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, God, you see our hands. You see our hearts. You see the weariness. Maybe, maybe you resonate with that. You say, I'm tired today. Hand up. My tired. I'm just tired. God's strength. Strength for the weary. Joy for the discouraged. God, thank you that you walk with us right into our place of discouragement. And that you group us up with other of your followers that give us grace and strength. And that you fill us with hope and joy. So God, I pray you do that today in every heart. Every home, God, would this be a church fighting for our families, fighting for our future, fighting for what God has for us, for the glory of God. Would you stand with me all over this room and pray for us? There's this verse in Isaiah 40 that says, even young men grow weary and stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And the Hebrew word renew actually means exchange their strength. They they take their weakness and exchange it for God's strength. Their weakness, exchange. it's like a trade. What, what a trade that is today, right? God, I'm giving you my weakness. You're giving me your strength. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. Think about this, a yoke where oxen would plow. He says, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna close in prayer. And I want us to kind of have this symbolic picture of you. Picture like a, an oxen with a yoke that's heavy. I want you to push your yoke off on Jesus. And I want you to picture him putting his on you. But it's a, it's a light yoke. Come on, can we do that today? If you're comfortable, just hold your hands like this. God, some people in this room, uh, they're carrying a heavy yoke. So right now, by faith, God, we push off those burdens onto you. God, they're your problem. And from this moment forward, they're your problem, oh God. So we push our burdens off to you, God. And we pray for your burden, which is easy. (laughs) Your yoke, which is light, to be pushed onto us, oh God. We trust in you. Would there be a divine exchange of our weariness for your strength, oh God. For the joy of the Lord and the courage of the Lord. And the hope of the Lord to fill our hearts today. We love you, Jesus. Sing these words. You're the Lord Almighty. Outshining all the stars in glory. Oh God, give us new strength. 